this series that we're going to be walking into, um, we are going to tear apart for the next, I believe, seven weeks, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, let me make sure that I talk with you a little bit about the fact that what we're actually encouraging you to do and me to do is we're actually encouraging us to learn about how the Lord has taught us to pray and to actually pray. That kind of thing, right? And I want you to know that it would be a grave mistake for you to think that I'm up here and, um, and maybe like giving you the words of wisdom from on high because I'm this unbelievable prayer warrior. And anytime I pray, people move, things, ha- things happen, mechanisms change, bridges come down, the whole thing. It's not true. I struggle just like you. That rhymed. It's not true. I struggle just like you. I have a struggle praying, and I, uh, and I think there's many reasons why, and maybe we'll dialogue into those a little bit. But um, I want you to turn with me. Go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, and we'll start this today. And I hope I can get through all this material. That's the worst thing to say, isn't it? Especially when you're thinking about lunch and getting out of here for the pastor to say that. Like he's got like a five-hour sermon. Okay, four and a half. Matthew 6 is, uh, is an interesting piece of scripture. It's, di- it's different than the Luke scripture. There's, um, the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer is treated a couple times in the Gospels, and we're going to look at the Matthew 6. I, I love the Luke one because actually in Luke, the disciples come to Jesus, the master teacher, and actually say to him, they had kind of seen him pray, and they said to him, they said, Lord, can you teach us to pray? And then he, he launches into the, the Lord's Prayer. Okay, and uh, so today the the context is a little different. If you look here at um, six, and he let's go ahead and we'll I'll start reading there at verse five. I'll read out of the ESV. Many of you maybe have uh, NIV, and uh, I'll just read it from verse five on. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the streets street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say to you, they have received the reward. Verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 7, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. And do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why pray? Why in the world would we pray? There's prayer, I guess I would ask you the question, and I ask myself the same question. Does prayer really change things? Randy talked a little bit about that last week. And the answer to that question would be yes. Prayer, prayer changes all kinds of things. But the most important thing that it changes is us. Because as we engage, you see, in communion with God more deeply, we come to know our Father more deeply. It's one of the reasons why we would pray is just so that we can come to know our Lord more deeply, more intimately. It's the reason why we spend time together during the week or with each other or with our wives or our husbands or our friends is because we want to get to know them more deeply. In prayer, we become mindful of a couple things, and 
Maybe these will hit you kind of like they hit me, but one of the things we become mindful in prayer is how small we are in the world. In a prayer, I think prayer is a deep reminder of our smallness when in fact a lot of times our lives are about us being big and us being smart and us being know-it-alls and us being this and us being that. I think prayer many times really puts us in our position of understanding our smallness. Prayer also makes us mindful, reminds us that we are a dependent people. We are not, and we're not supposed to be at least, an independent, prideful people, but a people of need. We're needy. And we have a great God who is interested in listening to the prayers of his children. Are you dependent? It's a really good question. Are you codependent? On the right thing? Are you dependent? Do people know you as being needy? You could say, well, wow, that's not too good because if they know me as being needy, I could, that can kind of go the other way. That's not our problem in general. Our problem isn't being too needy. Our problem is never being needy enough. And prayer reminds us that you're needy. Are you needy? Prayer reminds us that we're not alone. Prayer reminds us that we are not in control. These are all good things for us. This is why we would pray. Prayer is not just getting through to God so that he can understand us and our needs. It's more about God getting through to us so that we can know him and discover his fatherly love for us. Thus, the first part of the prayer, which is, our Father. Difficult for many of you to hear this sermon today, and I'm going to talk about this later on in the sermon. What a terrible word, another word that's bad in the English language, sermon. Because many of you have um, paths and understandings of an earthly father that are not, uh, what should we say, great pictures of undying love for you. I want to talk with you a little bit about that today because I believe it's crucial that we talk about it. But I want to talk specifically about this idea of understanding this concept of our Father. Jesus refers to our Father all the time in the Gospels. He refers to this intimate relationship that he has with the Father. Our acceptance by the Father, an author has said, is therefore the foundation of our Christian lives. I'm going to use this again, so pay attention this statement. Before we do anything for God, we know that we are, or we must know that we are, beloved by God. Before we do anything for God, we must know that we are beloved by God. Now, did you hear what I just said, young pilgrim? Many of you have been raised or maybe thought of or have a weird kind of a theology that we kind of think, well, if I do all these things, that God will actually love me. It's like we serve kind of this distant king. We have this understanding that I've got to get busy. I've got to do these things for God. When in actuality, the idea here is before we would do anything, we must understand the deep mystery of God's love for us because that's the most beautiful uh, motivation available to us to do anything for God. Do you follow? 
By grace, we have, a brand new, we have brand new identities as sons and daughters, and we are brand new creatures. Being loved by the Father becomes the very core of our existence. This is both our legal and actual status before God. Jack Packer says it this way, our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our, our grasp of adoption. That's the principle we're going to talk a little bit about today. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Pretty powerful statement by Packer there, isn't it? Our Father. Jesus says, start your prayers with our Father. What is Jesus teaching us here about prayer? Our Father in heaven. He's saying that now, as a result of Jesus, Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, coming to life again, we now have access where we can actually address our God as Father. The Bible calls him our Abba, our Daddy. We are his adopted sons and daughters. It's a very personal and intimate way of addressing our God. When my daughters call me daddy, and they still do, I love it. It gets my attention. Now, for those of you that have just heard my story of that's an earthly horizontal illustration, many of you even right now in the sermon are struggling because you may have had a dad that you didn't never want to call daddy. Hang on. Try to understand and disconnect a little bit about maybe the, the past that you may have had abuse of and to try to figure out, wait a minute, I have another heavenly father. I have our father that I want to hear about, his love for me. You follow? Just, just try. I want to be sensitive to you today with that. Well, the Lord thinks it's very special when we come to him, obviously now because of the cross, we can come to him and we can say daddy, we can say Abba, we can say father. Before Christ, we were considered orphans. The Bible calls us aliens and strangers. The Bible says that we were actually children, but we were what you would call children of wrath. We were headed to hell. We are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are now members of God's household. We're in the house. I've talked with you a lot about this, but we can't talk enough about this subject. We're adopted, and as born-again Christ followers, if you're a born-again Christ follower here today, maybe the, one of the most important things that you can learn, some people think it's one of the most important New Testament doctrines, of, uh, known to man is this doctrine of adoption that when we begin to consider the massive ramifications for you understanding that you're a son and a daughter, that your actual identity, that your significance, that your belonging, that your past, your present, your future is tied up in the fact that God chose you before the foundations of the world for you to be in the family. He chased you down and now he's given you all of the significance, all of the belonging, all of the future, all of the identity that you need. Can you find your belonging, your identity outside of that? We can try, but it ends up being on the rat wheel, and many of us are doing that even now. 
I know I have. I love Romans, and that's that Romans verse there where it says, listen now, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God, daughters of God, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Stan and Lori Helm made several trips to Russia to adopt a little boy named Nicholas. Your name, Nick. Each trip they spent time with him, but were not allowed to take him home, and each time they left the orphanage, it was heartrending to leave him behind. The situation in the orphanage was desperate, and Nicholas was covered in sores and was Ill, in ill health because of the unsanitary conditions. He was seldom held. And after finally being able to adopt Nicholas, Stan and Lori ran into their pastor who said, wow, with you and Lori, Nicholas uh, just won the lottery of adoption. And without a blink, I want you to think about this because this is beautiful. Without a blink, Stan replied, no, pastor, you're wrong. We're the lucky ones. We won the lottery here. No one in the world could be happier than we are to have Nicholas as our son. Did you ever stop to think that God is just as happy and maybe even happier to have us as his children as we are to be considered his children? As we are to consider ourselves the sons and daughters of God, did you actually ever stop to think that God could be over-the-top happy that we're in the house, that you are, even that I am, even despite our sin and our shame and our behavior and our problems and our hang-ups and our, our addictions? Did you ever stop to think that you have a father who loves you with an unburdened and passionate love always forgiving and patient with you, that he could be that happy that you've been adopted into the family. Isn't it beautiful to think about it? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it move you? Wouldn't it move you and I to want to love that person back? Does it hit you at all today that you're in the family, that you're a son and you're a daughter, that you're an heir you're a member of God's household. The Bible says that once you were far off, Paul, Paul says in Ephesians, remember that once you were aliens and strangers, remember that you were once far off, but now Jesus Christ has appeared. And as a result of his death and resurrection, you now have an identity. You're a son. You're a daughter. My dad oftentimes would look at me in times of my teenage identity crisis. Did you ever have one of those? Did you ever have teenage identity crisis? Mine was that, uh, I, I told somebody this the other day. I was, uh, back in the day, this is date me, when you did well in, in high school athletics, you got, you, were, you, you got a letter that you put on your jacket. Do they still do that? This letter, do, do they? Sir? They don't do that, do they? Come on, help, help me. Do they, Blake? Do they do? Yeah, oh, they do. 
So there's letters that you get on your jacket, and the big deal is, is that when you're a freshman and you're a sophomore and junior and senior, the big deal is, is that you get you know, the, your athletic accomplishments, uh, you get the letter that you get to wear. And it was a huge letter, like you know, so huge that you put on the jacket and you're bending over it so heavy. You know what I'm saying? And we had guys in the school that would get the letter, and then when they, they would actually get the medal that they would put on the letter, the medals from different sports that they lettered in. And so my big claim to fame was that I was the, I wanted to be a four-year letterman in tennis, you know, and I, I, I made it, you know, I got, I, I finally got there, and we left schools, and then I went, you know, it was just this crazy story, and I remember one day feeling so prideful about what I had done. And I was telling somebody the other day, my father used my tennis not so much as this living laboratory to make me a tennis or gym rat, but to teach me what, what life was really all about and being a disciple. So we, he'd use all these, these circumstances with tennis and say, well, what would God say about that? And you know, just like stuff like, you, you, sometimes you just want to go, Dad, just shut up about the Lord, will you? You know? And I remember one day he came, and we were talking about this, and I, he had saw my jacket, and I think it was the time, like, in the spring where it was, like, 70 degrees out, and I wore it anyway. And he looked at me, and he says, he says, hey, let me ask you a question that I've asked you a billion different ways in a billion different times, and the question is this, who are you? I knew it. I knew, I knew the answer. And I looked right at him, I said, I'm your son. And it melted him. And the Lord looks at you today, son and daughter, and he says, who are you? And if you have Christ in your heart, you look back at him and you say, I'm your daughter. I'm adopted. I'm in the house. Do you get it? And that's this concept this further concept where this, in this week where we think about coming before the Lord and when we, when we want to pray, our Father, think about what we're praying now. Think about the ramifications of what's going on in our heart, what's happened in the past to allow me to even say to my Lord, Father, our Father, I have this understanding of my adoption. You follow? Stan went on later to say, I could see him, he says, this father. He says, I could see him. I looked at him in all his distress. I just wanted to hold him. I wanted to comfort him and heal him. But more than anything else, I wanted Nicholas to know just how much Lori and I loved him. And the Lord wants us to know too. God sees us. He sees you. He sees me. He sees us in the orphanage of this world. He's seen our distress. He sees it now, young lady. He sees it now. He sees you now. And he sees you with love. And even in the distress, he wants to hold you and comfort you even in your pain. It's beautiful. When we say, Father, we are celebrating the day that we left the orphanage. When we say, Father, we are putting on the full joy of being a child of God. When we say, Father, we are saying we're not orphans. 
for sons and daughters. Orphans have no hope. We have hope. Orphans are unheard. We are heard. Orphans are poor. We are rich. Before Christ, we weren't even loved. We are now loved. Your belief and understanding of God as your loving and perfect Father is tantamount, I believe, young person, to the rest of your spirituality. And I want to walk into this a little bit. And I want to do something in our five-minute break that's a little different today. We could say that we have, uh, are not orphans and we can say that we're sons and daughters, but if the reality were to really be spoken over us about Wednesday and about how we live our weeks, many of us feel and act like orphans. Isn't that true? Why? Maybe it's because we haven't accepted the fact that, of who the Father is. We haven't accepted the fact of who the Father wants to be for us. We will not accept that He is a Father of unlimited forgiveness and infinite patience and boundless compassion. We won't accept it. And why won't we accept it? Because many of us, and I referred to this earlier, let me help you a little bit with this. Because many of us, our understanding of our Father, our Heavenly Father, is tied to a very dysfunctional picture and image and experience of our earthly Father. And to tell you the truth, if we were to really be truthful about the whole thing, many of us cannot, cannot, and I think maybe a little bit better of a statement, is will not, will not get over this. We take the negative feelings that we have about our earthly father. Now follow what I'm doing here. We take those negative feelings that we have about, that, about my dad and about whatever the case may be that happened in the past, and I project them onto my heavenly father. By the way, this is one of the ways that we kill our relationships with each other. One of the worst things that can happen in our relationships is when we feel hated and insecure and unloved and um, we hate ourselves and we couldn't actually believe that other people couldn't feel this differently about us. Do you follow what I'm saying? So we project onto them how we feel about ourselves. And the same way happens here with many of us when we think about our earthly father. We project onto God the way that our earthly father has treated us. And there's a lot of kind of dysfunction in that. It's almost like we could call it the sin of projecting. And God looks at us today, and he looks at us in this scripture, and all the way throughout, when you, look at, when you begin to uncover this concept of the doctrine of adoption, God actually looks at us and says, stop projecting. Stop projecting onto me the feelings that you have about your earthly dad. Stop. Give yourself permission to quit that massive power and stranglehold that your earthly father has over you. And I want to say that to many of you today. I want to say as a person who can stand up and say, and God says to you, give yourself permission to close the book 
to begin the process of the long, maybe it's going to be a long divorce for you. There's another image. Close the chapter on this part of your life. And know this, that the Bible says that that did not and does not and will not have the power to define you. And I know how you're hearing me today. I know you're sitting there and you're going, it's so much easier to say, Joel, than do, especially the fact that I'm 10 years old and my dad came into my room on a Friday night and sexually molested me billions of Friday nights. Young man, young, young lady, listen. Listen to the new song of salvation. Listen to it. The song starts with Our Father. It's a song of salvation and identity written for poor people just like you and me. What I want to help you with is try to concentrate and focus on the word that comes before Father. Our Father. Not your Father or my Father. Our Father. And our Father is not your earthly Father. Our Father is not the Father who violated you or abused you or hurt you. He is an entirely different and better best Father. For those of you that have been involved in past, you've been abused, I want you to know that I'm sorry. And I want you to know that God loves you and is sorry too. And I want you to know that he's enough. That I want you to know that he can deliver. He is the deliverer and he is the healer. He's perfect. He's the Lord. Your earthly father definitely doesn't have the power to heal you. Doesn't have the power to tell you who you are even though he tried many years. He doesn't have the power to love you completely and perfectly like our Jehovah God, Father Abba Daddy does. Remember, before you do anything for God, you must know that you are deeply loved by God. Last thoughts, and we're going to pray, and here's what we're going to do. That little, that bulletin that you have there, that's kind of your prayer journal that I want you to take home with you this week. kind of talks about this piece of being our father, the Lord being our father in the prayer, and what it would it look like for you to be able to begin to incorporate this concept of the Lord's prayer into your daily life this next week. And even in these next five minutes, what we're going to do is we're just going to take five minutes, and I want you to feel uh, the freedom to be able to stand up or sit down and just pray, maybe pray for yourself or pray for someone else as it relates to this issue. But here are my last thoughts for you for this week and maybe even for this morning. I want you to pray like a son and daughter this week. I want you to pray like a son and daughter this week and not like an orphan. 
What would a son and daughter, how would a son and daughter pray? I want you to pray this week like to a different father than maybe you've ever even considered in the past. The biblical father, the father of Jesus, our Jehovah father, our Abba dad. Meditate deeply on the father's love and his delight in you this week. Will you do it? Pray for yourself and for those that specifically struggle with accepting God's love. As we go into our time of just prayer, I want to make sure that I remind you uh, of our offering in the back to make sure that you help us and place your offering back in the back. We don't take a uh, uh, pass-up light, but we do take an offering. And as we enter into this time, usually about five minutes, it's okay for you to journal. And, and, um, but I guess what I want you to do today is I want, I want us to be, I just want to take up five minutes, maybe, maybe a little bit more just to pray. And I really want to encourage some of you to, to pray out loud for us today. We haven't done this before. And um, maybe it's going to be for yourself. Maybe it's going to be for our church. But I want to specifically kind of center around this idea of how I'm leading you today how we're talking about this idea of our Father. Let me start us out. Anybody can pray, and then I'll close us, and Carly will come up. Lord, Father, Abba, Abba Dad. It's weird to even say that for many of us, and um, I, I just have such a heart for so many of my friends here in this room that really have had a, have a difficult time with this truth. Lord, I just pray that you minister to them. Lord, as we even think about the fact that we're sons and daughters and that we have access, it's just, it's difficult. I just pray, um, Lord, that even, even in this week, uh, so many of us would truly begin to meditate on the fact of how much you truly do love us. Thank you for our adoption. Thank you for sending us Jesus.